Our text this morning, we're going to be looking at the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. If you happen to be using one of the Pew Bibles, you'll find that on page 965 of that Bible. We're in the middle of uh, part four of a five-part series on the vision of Grace Covenant Presbyterian Church. Who as a church are we, are we trying to be? What does it mean for us um, to be a faithful, this faithful group of people? Who are we called to be? Is a question that we're asking each week. We're going to read again part of our vision statement. You'll find this on the inside of the uh, front cover of your bulletin. Grace Covenant Presbyterian Church seeks to be a community that both glorifies and enjoys God in all that we do. Together we are pursuing authentic worship of Christ, a growing reliance on the gospel of grace, deep connection with one another, and faithful service to the whole of Williamsburg and the world. And then if you'll look below, um, further down on that page, you'll see some paragraphs that give a little bit of expansion to that. Down at the bottom, you'll see the paragraph that says, The gospel calls us to faithful service to the whole of Williamsburg and the world. We believe that the hope for our own lives, Williamsburg and the whole world, is the gospel. The good news of salvation and reconciliation that comes only through Jesus. And so we seek to be a community that loves Williamsburg and the world by proclaiming the gospel in both word and deed. We believe that involvement in mercy and justice isn't simply an addition to the gospel, but a vital part of the gospel. And by engaging in acts of mercy and justice, we are participating in God's work of redeeming all of creation, a work that we see in part now, but which he will one day bring to its full flowering. So this week and next week, we are talking about this last phrase in that upper paragraph there of our vision statement, that we are people who are pursuing faithful service to all of Williamsburg and the world. This week and next week, we're going to be talking about serving Williamsburg and the world in both word and deed, that we bring the gospel to the world around us in what we proclaim and in the way that we serve, and that those things should never be separated. Now, as my wife pointed out to me, I'm now separating those into two different sermons. Um, But these two sermons go together, Uh, and this week we're going to be talking about what does it mean for us to be faithful in service with the word faithful in service, in word, uh, with the message of the gospel. Okay, let me, uh, let me read our passage here in 2 Corinthians, um, and then we'll talk about how it applies to what we're discussing today. And first, let's, let's pray together. Father, again, we thank you for this morning to be here with your people in your presence. And I pray that right now that you would speak to us. Some of us are eagerly looking for that. Some of us are not expecting that. Some of us are scared to even dream that that might come true, that maybe you, the one true God, really do speak to your people by your spirit. We pray that you would do that for us now. Pray that you would teach us about the goodness of the gospel and that you would um, give us the freedom to share that we, the hope that we have with the world around us. And we pray this, that you might be glorified it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Okay, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by, open, by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. 
In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Now, this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 here is packed with all kinds of stuff. Okay, we're going to take a few threads of what it says and talk about what, how that relates to us as people who have been trust, entrusted with the good news of Jesus and entrusted with the mission of bringing this to the world around us. The point we're going to see and talk about this morning is a point that's made throughout Scripture that the mission that God has given us as individual believers and as a body of believers is to share the gospel with those who are not Christians so that they might become followers of Jesus. Okay, that's what Paul thought he was doing. He was bringing the good news of the gospel to those who had not heard it that they might become worshipers and followers of Jesus. And we're called into that same work. We're going to see three things in this passage, three reminders to us about this work. The first thing we're going to see is that Paul reminds us of the beauty of the gospel. Second thing, we're going to see that Paul reminds us that we are to share that beauty with others. And third, he's going to remind us of what the ultimate goal is of sharing the gospel with other people. Okay, so three reminders. And first, that Paul reminds us of the beauty of the gospel. Paul sees three things um, about Jesus that he finds precious and important and beautiful. And here they are. He says that Jesus is Lord that Jesus brings light, and the, G the story about Jesus is a treasure. Okay, he looks at the gospel and he sees these three beautiful things. First thing he says, that Jesus is Lord. Look in verse 5. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. What's Paul saying? He's saying that in a world of competing claims to glory, and competing claims to authority, competing claims to our attention and our love and our devotion, Paul says that Jesus is Lord. The gospel tells us that Jesus is, in fact, the king. 
And so in Paul's world, when they heard this, they would have heard a very direct challenge to something they heard every day. Because every day as they went about their business and bought things in the marketplace and sold things, they would be passing hand-to-hand these coins that had a picture of Caesar on it. And that would have said, Caesar is Lord. And here Paul says, no, in reality... Jesus is Lord. And he says, this is what we have to proclaim. This is part of the good news for our world, that we have a Lord and it's not Caesar. And that we have a Lord and it's not us. And we have a Lord, and a Lord is one that we submit ourselves to, that we bring our lives in line with, that we turn ourselves to. Because he's simply stating the obvious, assuming the obvious, that everybody follows something as Lord. Maybe I shouldn't say obvious. We don't think about it that way sometimes. But there is, some, there is something that is calling the shots in your life. There's something that you're directing yourself towards. There's something that you bow down and worship, literally or metaphorically. There is something that has our life. It has its hands around our life. What is our Lord? And the Christian story says that Jesus is Lord, and he's to be acknowledged as Lord in our lives. So the first thing he says that is beautiful about Jesus is that Jesus is Lord. Second thing he says, that Jesus brings light. Look at verse 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What's he doing? He's quoting one of the first few verses from Genesis where God is um, looking over the unformed void and darkness that is the world and he speaks. He says, let there be light. And light comes into the universe for the first time. And Paul's saying that very same God who turned on the lights in creation is the same God who's bringing light and life into our lives. That light has shone in our hearts to give the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. When God's mercy comes into our life, it floods our life with light and understanding. And what does that light reveal? Again, back in verse 6, reveals to us Jesus, and something in particular about Jesus, that when we see Jesus, we see the face of God. That when we see Jesus, we see the glory of God. And the Spirit comes in and turns on the lights for us, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God that we see in the face of Jesus Christ. And that means that... um, Something changes when we see that. Because before that happens to us, or aside from that happening to us, we can see a lot about Jesus without that kind of light. Uh, We can know what Jesus said. We can know what Jesus did. We can think about the impact that his life had through history. But without the turning on of this light, we can never see the truth of what the Bible actually tells us about Jesus. That he wasn't just a great teacher. That he wasn't just a great moral leader. That he was, in fact, God in the flesh. God himself comes in and turns on the lights for us. Paul says that's one of the things that is beautiful about Jesus, that he is light to us. And then the third thing he says is that the story about Jesus that has been entrusted to him, that's been entrusted to us, if you're someone following Jesus, that that story is itself a treasure. Look in verse 7. We have this treasure, this message that he's been proclaiming in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. I think this is a particular challenge for some of us as we go through the rhythms of the same old thing. Every week we come together and we worship. 
and we hear sermons and we open the Bible. And for some of us, maybe every morning we get up and we open our Bible and we read and we pray. And something becomes just maybe for many of us familiar and perhaps overly familiar. But for Paul, when he looked at this message, for him it was never just the same old thing. It was never just an old hat for him. He looked at the message of the reconciliation that we get in Jesus. And he says that this is a treasure. It is something to be valued. And it is something we're going to see, something that is to be shared. Okay, so first we see Paul reminding us that, um, that the gospel is beautiful in these three ways. But we also see here that, that this story is beautiful for us. Okay, first we're going to see how that's, that's true for Paul and also for us. But we're going to see that whenever you know, the topic at hand, this idea of, of, sh- of actually sharing this gospel with other people, this treasure with other people, we are always people who are telling two stories. Okay? We are telling the story of who Jesus is and what he did, and we're telling the story of how Jesus' story intersected with ours. Maybe better, took ours in, wove our story into the story of Jesus. Because we have, we have the picture of who Jesus is and what he did, and we have our own experience in our life of Jesus invading our own lives with that story. And Paul was consumed by both of those things, both the story of Jesus and the way his fit into it. I think in the back of, the mind, of his mind with uh, the imagery that Paul is using here about light, about light breaking in, it sounds a lot like the way Paul would tell his own story. If you go back to the book of Acts, three times uh, Luke in the book of Acts tells us the story of how Paul was converted. Okay, once he just narrates the story as it's happening, and then twice he gives us speeches of Paul's where Paul then tells the story again. So if you're reading the book of Acts, you read the same story with slight variations three different times. Okay, now Luke didn't assume that you'd forgotten how Paul was miraculously saved. He was trying to drive something home that there was something vitally important, both specifically for Paul about his call, but the impact that Paul's interaction and confrontation by Jesus had for him for the rest of his life. Okay, now I want you to listen to Paul telling his own story about this beautiful gospel he's come in contact with. This comes out of Acts chapter 26. Um, and he's speaking to the kings and authority, having the chance to tell his story. And here's what he says. Uh, in this connection, he was persecuting the church. He says, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we'd all fallen on the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand up on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things to which you have seen me to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you. Sorry. To appoint you as a servant and a witness of the things to which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from the people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. And as he tells that story... King Agrippa, three things appear in what he talks about. That Jesus is Lord, that Jesus brings light, and that Jesus is a treasure. Verse 15, he says says to Jesus in this vision, Who are you, Lord? 
Jesus comes back and says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. He sees that Jesus is in fact Lord. And now Saul, persecuting Christians, pursuing them to their death, becomes Paul, a faithful apostle and servant of Jesus because of this interaction with Jesus the Lord. And he sees that Jesus brings light. Verses 13 and 14 here. He's traveling along at midday, plenty of light to see the world around him. And a brighter light breaks in in the middle of this path on a journey to a city, knocks him off his horse and sheds a light into his life that he never had before. He thought he had all he needed until this brighter light comes in and reorients everything about the way he understands who Jesus is and the impact that's going to have for him in his life. And third thing he finds is that the Jesus story is a treasure. Jesus appoints him. He says, rise and stand. You're going to be a witness for me of the things that you have seen. I'm sending you to open their eyes that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they might receive forgiveness of sins. What's he saying? This story you've been brought into, Paul, is a treasure, and I'm sending you to share this treasure with other people. In fact, you're going to spend the rest of your life doing just that. Okay, so Paul sees and saw himself and was impacted himself by the beauty of this gospel. And he saw that his story fit into it. Okay, and that brings up this question for us. What is our story? And do we understand our own story this way? What is your own story if you're someone who's following Jesus? Have you seen that he's Lord, that he brings light, and that this story is, in fact, a treasure? For most of us, our conversion story may not be quite as dramatic as what happened to Paul on the road to Damascus. Some of us might have grown up um, in believing families and believing churches, and we can't even look back and figure out a day when we first came to believe. But what do we know? That we follow a Jesus who is Lord, who did and continues to bring light into our life and who has given us this treasure. For many of us, it's a lifelong journey of slow growth and more and more opening our eyes to see the light that he brings into us. So it's worth thinking, how has Jesus shown himself to be this to you? How is he showing himself that he is in fact Lord of your life? How is he turning the lights on in your life? Or is he? And how is this story becoming a treasure for you? Because the thing is, if you don't know these three things about Jesus, if you don't know that he's Lord, if you don't know that he brings light, if you haven't seen it, if you don't, if you don't know that this story is a treasure, then you're never going to be able to share this faith of yours with someone else. If you don't know these things, you're never going to be able to share it with any real conviction or power. When Paul spoke of Jesus as Lord and light and treasure, he knew of what he spoke. And Jesus invites us to know the same thing. And my encouragement to us as we seek to bring this to others is that we have to learn to do what Paul did, which is to articulate these two stories. To be able to speak about the story of Jesus. Who was he? What did he do for us? When we say the word gospel, good news, what does that mean? Can we articulate it in a way that someone else can understand? Can we articulate his story? And can we articulate our own story? Because when you share with somebody, can you say, and let me tell you what that has meant for me in my life. This isn't something that just happened out there. It is something that I've seen come and invade my own life. That it has to be our story to share as well. And from that, that it's going to be not only beauty for Paul and beauty for us, but that it's going to be beauty for others as well. How's the gospel going to be beautiful, good news for your friends and for my friends? 
for your neighbors and my neighbors, for your co-workers, for family members, for classmates? How are you going to be able to articulate this and show people that it really is good news? Let me give you a couple suggestions. One is that we begin to, um, that we begin to pray faithfully for others. And many of us, I can certainly admit for myself, often it is occasional prayers for some people rather than real um, continuous prayers for at least a few that the Lord has brought into our life that they might see the light of the glory of Christ, that he might call them into life as well, that he might use us to be a part of that. Are there at least two or three people in your life that you can pray for, that you can begin to pray for, not simply for them to see that, but pray that the Lord would use you to be a part of bringing that to them? And what would happen if we began to pray prayers like that? That we'd really have the expectation that God would answer that prayer. And that we'd really then be ready that as we see that prayer being answered, that we'd be faithful to step into it. When, you, when we really do find those situations, to share with those that we know. When we really do find those situations, to share the love of Jesus with other people. Those are scary prayers maybe for some of us to begin to pray. Just one more practical encouragement. Listen to the stories of the people around you. You know Jesus' story. You know the way that's invaded your story. And you have to hear the story of the people around you. Where have the people you know, where have they been broken by this fallen world? Where are the places where their lives are shattered and broken because all of ours are in some way? Where are the places in in someone else's life where they are adding to the brokenness of this world, where they, just like we, are culpable people in this fallen world? And where does the gospel bring specific light and beauty and hope and challenge to the contours of that person's life? And you're never going to be able to do that with a simple paragraph that you try to slap on somebody's forehead. What are we going to have to do? We're going to have to listen to other people's story. We're going to have to know the story of Jesus. And we're going to have to talk with people that they might see some inroads to how Jesus' story actually matches up with their own. But to begin with, we're going to have to be people who listen. And then we're going to have to be people that do what Paul does in verse 5. We're going to have to be people who share the hope that we have. Verse 5, what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul's assumption is that he is speaking the love of Christ and the message of Jesus to the people around him. Now, that means that we actually do speak, okay? What we often call evangelism, which I found out this week from a conversation is a terrifying and misunderstood word for people. Um, Because I, I found that at least some of you, when I say one word, I mean one thing and you hear something very different. Okay, and here's what I found out this week. When I say evangelism, or I speak of sharing the gospel, some of you think... We are supposed to go onto the street corner and shove tracks into somebody's face. Like, that's what you think I just said. And that's not what I just said. But that we are people who are supposed to share the hope that we have. That at appropriate times, in appropriate ways, that we would speak of the hope that we have to the people around us. Now, some of us, you know the phrase maybe, lifestyle evangelism. Okay, now there's a, there's a certain amount of baggage that goes with that, that term, and it's one that, that many of us know. There's the idea here that our lives should so beautifully proclaim the gospel that other people are naturally drawn to Jesus because of what they see in our life. 
That is a good and right thing. Some of us have entirely pitched our tent in lifestyle evangelism that doesn't require any actual proclamation. Okay, because here's what we tend to think. I'm slowly building a relationship with this person who is my neighbor. And sometime the day is going to come where we've had enough shared time, where I've built enough trust that at some point that person is going to turn to me and say, I just don't understand. You seem to be such a person of hope and resilience in the the hard facts of life. Could you please tell me the hope that you have? And that does happen sometimes. But on our timetable, some of us are going to have to live to be 198 (laughs) before that naturally happens with our neighbor or live to be 198 before we finally feel we've built enough trust with somebody that we could begin to speak to them about the content of the gospel of Jesus. Our lives should certainly proclaim the integrity and beauty of the gospel. But part of living the gospel out in front of other people is the time comes when we must speak. I've told this story before, but it's the one that drove it home for me. When we were in Philadelphia in seminary, we were part of a church plan, and I was interning with our church. And So I, I, one summer, I, a couple times a week, there was this one coffee shop in one part of Philadelphia where I would go hang out. And I'd study there, and I'd prepare for Bible studies I was leading. And gradually over the summer, I'd try to get to know the names of the people who worked at the coffee shop. And I just sort of thought that I'm just going to be at this place, and somehow you know, evangelism is going to happen right here in this coffee shop. And I spent a lot of money on coffee that summer. <laughs> I got some good work done. I didn't have many actual conversations, and at the end of the summer, I thought to myself, at some point I have to actually speak to people. <laughs> I, have to, I have to actually tell them what I'm doing here. And it's possible that some other regular over there is just going to come over and say, I noticed that you have a Bible and you hear it all the time. Please tell me about Jesus. Um, <laughs> I don't know what more I should have done in that situation, but I do know this, that when we have this hope of this gospel, this story of Jesus, that we are meant to share that with others. And many of us are too slow and too reticent to think the time might be right for me to actually speak the hope that we have. Let me say this to us. Um, If you are not sharing the gospel with friends, family of yours that don't know Jesus, then you are not being a friend to them. And you are not loving them. Why? Because, because friends actually share what is important to them. You're sharing your love of gardening, and you're sharing your love of golf, and you're sharing your love of hockey, whatever it is. But friends share what's actually important to them. Uh, imagine this. Imagine you have a friend for years, and you never actually speak to them about this thing that you say is central to your life. And one day, maybe that person becomes a Christian through some other avenue, And they come back to you and they say, you're a Christian too? I've known you for 15 years. And you never stopped once to tell me about this Jesus that you have said and now I've found is so central to our lives. You never once stopped and said and told me that I was headed off a cliff and I didn't even know it. You never once stopped and said, you know, this... um, this death that I've been experiencing through the ins and outs of my life, there is real hope there. You never brought the light of that hope to me. Are you saying you never thought it was important for me to know that? 
did you think I wouldn't be interested in this? The meaning of life. That question wouldn't intrigue me. All this time I've been on this road headed away from God and you never said I need to hit the brakes and turn around. See, if you and I are not sharing the gospel with the people we know, they should in fact be offended. Even if they don't ultimately agree with us, they should be offended that we would not love them enough to tell them about the thing that we think is most central, most important. They should be offended if we never share it. And that means I've got a lot of friends who should be really offended and hurt by my lack of love for them. Now the gospel also reminds us, not only the beauty of the gospel, but just a couple more things briefly, reminds us of the freedom that we now have in sharing the gospel with others. Verse 1, look what Paul says, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. Okay, Paul, as we saw on this road to Damascus, had a unique calling, apostle to the Gentiles, writer of scripture. But we are all who are followers of Jesus have a calling to step into making Jesus' name known to the people around us. We all have a call. Paul maybe in one sense had a call with a, a big C. We have a call with a small C to be proclaimers and bringers of the gospel of the people around us. And it's interesting that he says, having this mercy, this ministry by the mercy of God. And I find great encouragement in that. Because he doesn't say, I have this, mercy, I have this ministry from God because of my great achievement and my great learning and my natural winsome personality. You know, Paul doesn't say any of these things. God was merciful gave me something I didn't deserve. He gave me the gift of this ministry to others. And the result for him was that he didn't lose heart. He didn't win this ministry somehow. It was given to him in his weakness. And in his struggles, he knew, God is the one who gave this to me. God is the one who's going to see this thing through. And the implication of this, look at verse 2. We have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. What's he saying? Because this is God's deal. I don't have to be slick. And I don't have to be manipulative. In fact, it would deny the gospel if I were that. Because this is all about God's work, breaking into people's lives, breaking into my life, breaking into others and so we can't manipulate that there's no bait and switch with gospel if we smile enough pretend that our lives are all together then we can snooker somebody into following the same Jesus and then we'll spend the rest of their lives trying to help them uh, decipher why their life is still so broken and they still struggle even though they follow Jesus and they wonder if we lied to him at the beginning do we have real hope in Jesus? yes do we sometimes give a false hope in Jesus? I think maybe so. When we're committed to no dents, no imperfections, which is another way of saying when we project to the world that we are people other than whom we really are, people who are very much still in process with Jesus, saved people that are now being, over time, made more and more into the image of Jesus. We don't have to be slick. Verse 5 for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Reminds us that the freedom we have in sharing the gospel is to be servants to the people around us. Is this how your friends, your co-workers, people you, don't, people you know, your neighbors that don't know Jesus, is this how they see you? As their servant? 
as one who comes and serves with the hope of the gospel. Another way of saying this is our, our lives, the way we serve others, our lives, are they making the, the gospel more plausible or less plausible to the people around us? And then finally, he tells us, uses a graphic image in verse 7, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. What does he say? This message of the gospel, this hope that is found in Jesus, the most radiant and beautiful thing, he puts in the most breakable containers he could find. For Paul, it would have been a literal clay pot. Things of great value put in something that you just drop it and it shatters into a thousand pieces. And Paul goes on to say how very much like a clay pot he really feels. Tribulation and struggle and disappointment. The freedom the gospel brings us is to own up to the fact that we are in fact just this fragile, breakable vessels. That the treasure is what is inside. That we in one sense don't have to be the radiant beautiful one, because we bring them something that is radiant and beautiful, the message and hope of Jesus himself. And it's a reminder to us that all of this is about God's power and Jesus' beauty and not our own. Reminds us of the freedom we have. Last thing, again briefly, reminds us of the whole reason we are doing this. The ultimate goal we have for sharing the gospel to begin with. Look at verse 15 with me. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. See, this is the goal above the goal. This is why we really try to bring this hope to other people, because it's going to put their life back together, because they're going to be put back in the right relationship with Jesus. Yes. To what ultimate end? That our God might receive thanksgiving, that he might receive glory. This is one outflow of the reality that Jesus is Lord, that he is the one who receives glory in this. Now, for those of us that are long-term Presbyterians, you know the answer to this question. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. What Paul's telling us is that in bringing the gospel to others, you are a part of that very work of bringing glory to God. Because he is about the business of of turning lost, hardened people into worshipers of the king, into people who are in the family. This is what we were made for, to participate in this glory of God. And we're called into this mission of calling others into this glory of God. And it's good news for us because deep down we know that living for our own glory is too small a thing. We were in fact created for the glory of God. And we as individuals and we as a congregation are being called by Jesus to this work as all Christians are in all ages at all times. That God would be glorified in our lives through our own lives and through our interactions and proclaiming and living the gospel in front of others that others might believe as well. And we need to be a people who want that, who pray for that, and who rightly long and expect to see that happen in the world around them, that we would pray and we would step into relationships with that goal in mind, not because people are projects, but because we follow a God who is setting all things right and inviting people in 
and giving us this great task of being a part of that work. We have been given this ministry by the mercy of God. It is a gift to us. May be it a gift, may it be a gift that we together actually do unwrap and actually do enjoy. Let's pray together. Father, we pray, and I pray, that you would remind us, that you would remind me of the beauty of the gospel. What you have done in our lives. Of the freedom that you've given us in sharing the gospel with others because this is your deal and not ours. And the ultimate goal that we have of bringing glory and praise to you. May that be such a beautiful thing that it captivates our hearts. Lord, we need your spirit to drive this home. And we ask that you do that in Jesus' name. Amen.